We are the Matea Group of Keller Williams Realty. We enjoy the diverse community that we serve and the lifestyle that Maine has to offer. We'll be talking all things real estate and Maine. Welcome to the Maine Real Estate Show. Hey, welcome everyone to the Maine Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Jeff Matea of the Matea Group at Keller Williams Realty here with Harrison Smith, my co-host. Welcome, Harrison. How you doing, Jeff? Very good. Very good. Another eventful week. Uh, I can't remember how many we put under, but it was quite a few. And uh, the real estate market tends to heat up in spring. And uh, it's here. Spring's here. Well, and as with anything, there's no real warning. It just yeah. kind of happens. Like the market just opens back up and sellers that were thinking about it are now ready. Buyers are now ready and everything just That's takes right. off. Yeah, there's no real crystal ball. It's funny yeah. how it just happens. Um, you, you can plan for it. You can predict it all you want. It's just, you know, when the market's ready, the market's ready. People, consumers have things going and it just tends to be right around this time of year. So, yep. Uh, Here we are. And you were running around with some clients this week. I know looking at, you know, buyers and sellers. You know, right. Conditions the same, kind of the same thing we've been seeing. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, inventory is extremely low. Uh, the, I just interviewed a, a client that uh, between 400 and 500,000 in Wyndham, there are no single family homes. Wow. So 400 to 500,000. That's like a pretty sweet spot. So, yeah. Folks that are considering selling their home, there's an opportunity there to, uh, you know, get on the market. There's no competition. Yeah, that's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah so, uh, right, we had a great show uh, last week. The short-term rental uh, (STR), as we like to yep. refer to it as the acronyms. There's every acronym under the sun in real <laughs> estate and even in the corporate world. So we thought we got rid of that. Yep. Got away from it. Um, so short-term rentals. The gist of it. Awesome opportunity. It's a great uh, way to get into housing, get into investments uh, in particular, and you know, more than multiply your money through ten tons of different avenues from yep. hosting to co-hosting to just planning and investing. And you, know, you can do it in multiple markets that there are uh, where Airbnb and VRBO, many of the platforms are, but just that there's so many avenues to do research and look into where's a good market to be invested in where, you know, a lot of folks I talk to, they generally had an interest in that place already. Maybe they vacationed there in the past. They still vacation there and they picked up a rental that, or, you know, picked up a property investment property that then they rented when they weren't there. And that's how people naturally got into it. Now I'm seeing folks that all around the country that are doing this specifically to markets that they know mm are popular, they're going to get that huge cash on cash return. And people talking like 15, 20, even 30% cash on cash return is incredible. Yeah. I mean, you, in, most people would, would be happy with an eight to 10% return. You're yeah. talking, you know, talking 20, 30% is crazy, but um, I'm, I'm always amazed when I travel around New England and even around the country, how many people have that tie to Maine in some way, like, Sure, you know, whether it was family or a vacation spot, or there's, I run into so many people that have a tie to this area. Uh, and I'm always fascinated by you know, how many people it eventually draws back. Yeah. They'd summered here. They'd come up here for a camp or what, as a kid went to sports or just an outdoors camp yep. uh, to spend time or had done that year after year after year, one or two weeks of summer. And now they're doing it every summer for multiple weeks or even all summer. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think the key takeaway for people before we kind of segue into today, in this yeah. week's show is, you know, real estate's a team sport always has been. Yeah. Short-term rental is very, very much a team sport. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of moving parts, a lot of things that are different. Yeah. A lot of activity, right? You know, you need systems, process, and a team to really, to really do that at a high level and be successful in a way where it doesn't become a job for you. Well, and that market's always changing. So you always. have from regulation to the folks that just are more competitive and, and have that desire, right? So 
you know, you're going to get outmarketed if you just go and yeah. put it on uh, one of those platforms and hope that it's just going to attract people. Well, there's folks that are using search engine optimization, SEO, Facebook marketing, Instagram marketing, and all these ads that are then popping up and directly booking. So they're avoiding that, waiting for the uh, Airbnb VRBO platform yeah. algorithm to show them because so many people have looked at their uh, advertisement in the past or have booked. So it becomes more popular and rises in the ranks. Um, so you're competing on price, look, amenities. I mean, there's many different avenues that it's not just put it on there anymore. Um, and there's so many different ways to arrive to your booking or your, your listing yep. that people have come up with other clever ways. So you also have to stay up on amenities. It's just, it is a full-time sport cleaning management. There's a lot that comes yep. into play, but again, we do it. We yep. do a lot of it. And uh, we also don't claim to be the experts. So we'll get you in touch with other parties that can assist you. Uh, just go to jeffsellsmain.com and we'll connect you with uh, the parties. If you have even just questions about it, want to invest in it or already have properties and need management co-hosting are looking for other properties in different markets. Um, you know, STR Insights is a, is a great tool, Price Labs, um, that we know that looks at where is a good investment opportunity and what should you be pricing your home uh, as a as a short-term rental? Where should you be to be competitive? Yeah, a lot of moving parts. So definitely, uh, definitely do your research, reach out with questions, happy to connect, but it's definitely a team sport. Yeah. And so did, today's show, we want to dive deep into affordable housing. I mean, even when we were on WGIN, the radio, um, we talked about affordable housing a number of times, and we'd love to get some experts on here as well. But we're reading numerous articles about affordable housing, that just affordability. I mean, prices have gone through the roof, and the focus hasn't been on affordable housing. And you hear a lot of, there's the nod in my backyard, NIMBY folks. There's also the well, prices we'll talk about a little bit is prices everywhere went up not only land, but labor materials that have made it tough to create affordable housing. Yeah. It's, it's been a challenge for, I mean, as long as I can remember, um, everybody remembers the 08 crash, you know, yeah. prices hit big skid, everything down, right. um, kind of a slow recovery. And then the last, you know, four or five years has been a very rapid expansion of pricing. Yeah. Um, and that has caused, you know, it's caused values to rise, but more importantly, in that inflationary environment we've been living through, everything's gotten more expensive. Yeah. So the materials you build with, the land you're buying, all the resources utilizing, the labor you need, you know, everything's gotten more expensive. And when you have low inventories, we've talked about, and right. still have very high demand, prices go up. And now the cost of backfilling that inventory, sure. new inventory goes up as well. And then, and then you'll talk uh, in depth a little bit later on to close out the show with um, yeah. Phoenix Title. Patrick Thornton of Phoenix Title about Title and just, you know, where that, where his uh, take is on the market what he's seeing in the day-to-day -day and uh, offer some tips and advice for the buyers and sellers out there on title work and what they need to be aware of, exactly. um, you know, the good, the good, bad, and indifference of uh, yeah. the main title and, uh, you know, just the legal aspect of buying and selling property. Yeah, exactly. I had a good chance to, to catch up with Patrick Thornton on a few things and, and dive a little bit into title insurance, but deeds. And, and some of that does actually tie back into affordable housing because it's some of the ways you handle affordable housing kind of go into deeds and things like okay. that that yeah. Patrick handles. So yeah. interesting points of connection through all of this. So I know there's some headlines. It seems like it's every other week, if not even more often, mm -hmm. uh, surrounding affordable housing. So I want to dive into that yeah. and your take um, seeing that more and more. I mean, they, they, you said like before we went on the show is that these guys and gals like to keep a low profile because yeah. um, what they're doing is, yeah, you know, they don't want to create competition, but they also have their niche that they're 
working through yeah. that there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, hoops to jump through and the more people that maybe get involved might create that competition that wouldn't make it easy for them to do what they do because it's it's a lot of work yeah and time time consuming affordable housing is a very complicated issue uh, and there's a lot of different ways to get at it and in as we as i mentioned before you know in an inflationary environment where everything's gotten more expensive it puts more pressure on being able to create sure. affordable housing but um but there's a variety of ways to get at that so uh we've seen some articles lately where there are there are affordable multifamilies being built in kind of old orchard beach and in greater portland um, that are more focused on things like um, federal grants and, and credit, state federal grants and also tax exactly. credits, which allow the cost of that construction to basically come down a little bit for the developer. So not only is the cost of construction a little bit lower through these grant programs, but then the tax credits also may, make the cost of maintaining that real estate a little bit cheaper yeah. so you can lower the rents. Uh, you know, that's one way. There's also things we've come across that falls right into Patrick's world, like deed-restricted affordable housing, where certain segments of a project might be affordable. Right, right. So if, you know, maybe I, I know in Scarborough, Scarborough wants 10% of all new units to be affordable. So if you build 10 units, one of those has to be a deed-restricted affordable unit. Yeah. And affordability is classified as not making more than 60% of the median income of the area um, because they don't want anybody to spend more than 30% of their income on housing. So it's it's this kind of big, big math formula that determines... Mm -hmm what the income level is that you qualify at, but also what that month, that monthly cost can be. And that's how you back into what that price point has to be. And then you've got to reverse engineer the construction and the financing to allow that cost to work. Exactly. Exactly. That makes a lot of sense. So, and then there's different, different types of units, right? It's from yeah. modular and mobile that you know, maybe not as, as desirable to some, mm -hmm. um, but right. It's, it's affordable and tiny. Uh, so tell us more about those, you know, different units and the style and types and where those are popping up. Yeah. So what I find interesting is, is I think we've all, we've been trying to solve the affordable housing uh, problem by finding a way to make single, single family homes cheaper, which the reality of it is over the last few years, yeah, that's, that's happened. been a, yeah. a, a calculation it's nobody's tough, cracked. Right. Um, you, you just can't, you know, with demand where it is, it's hard to take an existing home and make it, make it more affordable. However, what we're seeing is we're seeing some some towns, um, especially in Maine, but also around the country, that are getting creative with how they solve affordable housing. So, I go back to the example of Bangor from late last year. You know, Bangor yeah. took an old mobile home park, mobile home park yeah. and reapproved it as a tiny home community. Sure. So, you know, we I think we've all seen tiny homes to some capacity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. You know, they're very efficient, very affordable, um, but they're oftentimes viewed as you know not a desirable type of housing because they're a little bit different. However. The younger generation loves them because they are efficient. They're not, they're simple. Um, and we can get into, into you know, housing issues down the road in terms of, in mm -hmm. terms of stock, but the younger generation doesn't want the house they grew up in. They want something that's a lot simpler and easier to maintain. So a tiny home works great for them. Got it. So Bangor took a, took a, a chance to create more desirable housing to maintain a younger demographic, solving the affordable housing issue, but also finding a way to keep more young people in the area. And we're seeing other towns you know, branch into other options mm -hmm. because there is a, there are other housing types we've tended to ignore that might actually be great solutions to affordable housing. And, and the, uh, and Scarborough Downs even just released recently that they're building tiny homes inside of that project. Wow. You know, yeah. they're not necessarily affordable homes. Yeah. Um, it doesn't, they're not in, in that kind of bracket, but they are, they are a different type of housing option that is in demand that I think we oftentimes mm -hmm. overlook. A smaller footprint that allows for greater density, at least, so that there's exactly. going to be more of them. So it's going to create more households exactly, uh, and housing stock and inventory yeah. is really what that solves. Even if it's not affordable, it's still more exactly. units that are out there to house folks. 
Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, when we say, when we say maybe it's not affordable, maybe it's not affordable based on the equation that the state publishes, but yeah. it's more affordable than the 2,500 square foot colonial that's selling, you know, down the street. Right. And now I got you what, got you what you mean. Yeah. I mean, as far as like the, the state granting, you know, yeah. money to fund this. Um, so tell me too about, um, you know, greater density. So we tend to sprawl out. And we as we leave like a city center, these developments then say, well, people want more land. And there's a reason why they move to a more, um, you know, the suburbs, a more rural area is to have more lands, but that costs more or they, does. You know, we need more density to create more unit, you know, to make it economically, you know, beneficial to these developers. So what, what does that look like? Right. And I think one of the major selling points in Maine is space. We have space, sure. you know, yeah. most, most of your houses are going to be on, you know, a third to a half an acre on average, maybe a little bit larger as you go further out. Yep. Um, and as you know, there's kind of two things that drive value. It's, it's proximity to things. And then the real estate itself, you know, yeah. the location and what you're buying. Yep. So for those people that are willing to go you know, more inland, you can, your money goes a little farther with a single family home outside of Portland. Mm -hmm. But if you're in Portland or greater Portland, the only way to actually bring the cost down is to have more units. So I, I, yeah. I love the example of like uh, Boston or if anybody's been to assembly row down in Somerville, which is yeah. a relatively new development, right. yep. Yep. They, they fit a hundred units on the footprint that we put a single family house in. So <laughs> when you can put a hundred units in the same space as one and yeah. you have a hundred to one density ratio, sure. right. not that we want to become Boston, yeah. but your economics are completely different when you're developing and selling then when you can only put one unit on that piece of land. Yeah, that huge economies of scale creates that savings and it's it's pretty wild. Um, so then we also have um, the ADU accessibility now that LD 2003 has been passed starting in July, right? If I'm clear yep, on that, um, allows us to add to existing buildings, an accessory dwelling unit for those yep. that don't know what ADU stands for. Uh, so Janet Mills and working with, um, you know, state Senate, state Congress um, folks, um, past this and now what can people do as a result of LD 2003? Yeah. So what LD 2003 allows is people to basically add a unit to their property. And it also allows some of the zoning to allow for more multifamily. So in Maine, we tend to have pretty strict zoning. You know, you need one, it's a single family house per acre maybe, or per two acres when you get further out yeah. from greater Portland. This now allows that single family home to become a single family home with the ADU. So now it can be another unit. Now that unit can be either used as like an in-law suite. So maybe, maybe you've got a family member living with you, which in theory frees up a housing unit somewhere else for somebody to buy. So it helps with supply. Um, in some cases they become, they become rentable units. And some of the legislation has moved in a way where those units that haven't been able to be rentable in the future to somebody now can be. Um, and I actually ran into somebody just a week ago at a closing, um, and they're doing these, you know, these backyard ADUs, which looks like, mm -hmm. uh, it's effectively like a tiny home in your backyard. That's, that's an ADU, but LD 2003 allows those to be dropped in place and, mm -hmm. and connected to your utilities. And now you've got another accessory, accessory dwelling unit, another living unit on your existing single family footprint. And yeah. So that increases density, creates more housing stock, creates more options. Um, and is one way to help work. It's, we, we can't go back and fix density. But you can you can maybe add on like this to yeah. help get more units. I'm just curious, all those ones that are detached, if that's going to create an issue for uh, financing. And you know, two units on one lot in the past had caused some lenders to not be too thrilled of like, yeah. well, how are they connected? How what what's the plumbing electrical situation? Are they, you know, bumming off of sharing? Are sure. they like separate? You know, separate metered? Like, well, what's that unit? Is that really a true two unit or is it more like a, you know, um, 
glorified garden shed that's been <laughs> spruce, you know, remodeled um, because they, yeah, they didn't like to see that in the past. So maybe, you know, that'll change the banking world. Sure. Um, but like I go to like condo associations is where my mind goes is like, there's things that get done. And then it's like, well, we can really check with our insurance <laughs> and our lender and our legal team before we went and did this. And are there going to be ramifications that come from and consequences that, you know, yes, it created more affordable housing. It created more housing and inventory, yet we're going to have people that'll have trouble selling yeah, and get, or, you know, fi- you know, having a finance, financeable property in the future. Yeah. And it's, it's something that honestly, I've not come across yet. I, yeah. I know some people that have done them and they've, and they've, you know, they've either paid cash for them or maybe bought them off of like a home equity line of credit. Yeah. So they're, you know, kind of tying the real estate together, but not necessarily tying it directly together. Uh, you know, most of your ADUs in Maine are going to be above a garage or off the back of a house and they're going to be attached to the main structure. Yeah. But to your point, when you add these, these new kind of almost like the tiny home concept, oh, the picture like ADU, a pool shed, you know, yeah, there's, exactly. I've seen, you know, even in Cumberland Falmouth, you know, you've got off the back of the garage, a finished space that was once just the pool house or mm-hmm. the, you know, kind of a indoor patio that got you out from, you know, the weather if it was raining and, you know, it wasn't swim day sure. and people have created that to be uh, you know, a bed and a, a wet bar with a fridge bathroom. Yep. And uh, you know, is that going to cause any issues and it will, you know, only time will tell. Yeah. Um, but I imagine some lenders, you might want to check ahead yeah. before I, you get, spend that kind of money. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be a bridge has to be crossed at some point here. If, if these things become more and more, more and more popular. And I know that from speaking to, from the people I talk to, you know, they are, they're booked out. It's, you know, you're, you're months away from getting one. Oh, and, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> and they're, you know, it's just like, you know, we talked about the tiny homes that come out of Holton, Maine, they're booked yeah. out to, to capacity right. for a year or two. And I, I think that as we've become more open to these different housing options, uh, you're going to see more and more of the, of this work pop up more and more of these companies pop up, you know, yeah. more and more resources go to supporting them, which, ultimately certainly helps the construction industry, but also just continues to pull more people into that trade, that trade world that we already yeah. don't have enough people for. Yeah. And I think, you know, buyers are really looking for that connectivity. So some of these, yeah. you know, like that mobile home park that was converted to tiny homes, people just want that neighborhood, that sense of belonging to something and then accessibility to the highway schools, public transportation, where they, exactly. you know, do their consuming. Yep. As long as that's close by, this is a no brainer. Yeah. And, and that younger generation, you know, they grew up in the big colonial house that their parents own. They don't want that house. They want the smaller house closer to things. Yeah. It's, it's more lifestyle. You know, I think for a lot of us, you know, home ownership was a, was a prideful thing. We wanted to have a, have a nice home and be comfortable. And I think for the younger generation, they don't care about that so much. They, hmm. they see a home as nothing more than a place to put my stuff and sleep at night, but yeah. I really want to yeah. be closer to things so I can go out and experience sure. versus, you know, hang yeah. out around the yeah, house and mow the lawn. It's less to maintain, less to yeah. clean. You know, and then rehab if at the you know point in time that comes, like less to paint, less to yep. et cetera. Um, so yeah, awesome, awesome. We'll uh, next head over to talk to Patrick. We've got a very special guest today in studio. I'm joined today by Patrick Thornton. How are you doing, Patrick? Good. How are you, Harrison? Good to see you. Good. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for visiting us today. Yeah, happy to. Happy to. All right. So um, for those people who don't know who you are, can you yeah. talk a little bit about who you are and also kind of give us an intro into what Phoenix title is? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Patrick Thornton. I'm a lawyer in Maine. I'm the Managing attorney and vice president for Phoenix Title. Basically, I'm oversee the company's operations in the state of Maine. Okay. So, um, been a lawyer since 2007. Been in title work, give or take, since '97. So, um, but that's my that's my role right now is managing state of Maine operations for our title company. Okay. 
And for those that aren't familiar with the title company, so yep. what, what, what is a title company and then what does a title company do? Yeah. So title company is sort of shorthand for a set of jobs, right? So really, I would say three main prongs. One is we're searching the title and that's probably what everybody thinks of. We're called a title company. That means somebody's reviewing registry records to figure out who owns this piece of real estate. Uh, are there any liens against it? What mortgages need to be paid off? What rights come with it? What rights are against it? And put together a title search. Uh, then also we're a closing company, right? That means we host the actual closing. So we're going to sit down at a table. Somebody from our company will run that closing to hand out documents, collect signatures, uh, notarize whatever needs to be signed. Um, and then we're also an escrow company, right? So that means we take in all the money from the lender and the buyer, and we disperse that money to everybody that has to get paid. So that's the seller, any liens or mortgages, the real estate brokers, any tax bills, anything else. Um, you sort of take all those three under one umbrella call it a title company, but really it's title closing and escrow are sort of three, you know, closely related, but separate tasks that we take care of for a real estate transaction. Okay, great. And a lot of times, you know, a lot of times you're working on a transaction, maybe clients don't even know yet right. uh, that you're involved. So, you know, when, when would clients begin to interact with you and when do they really see you in the transaction? Yeah. So buyers don't interact with us a whole lot, especially if they have a lender, they will usually get an opening questionnaire from us. It just says who we are, uh, how to get in touch with us, and some very basic information. But a lot of what we need will come directly from a lender or the broker. We'll reach out to the seller, do a little bit more with the seller as far as who do they think they owe, uh, any mortgages yeah. or liens to, and we, we double-check that to find out. Um, uh, and then we kind of don't really have a lot of interaction with the buyer or seller from that point until we're ready to schedule. So okay. you go under contract, there's sort of an initial touch um, and then usually the lenders and the brokers are figuring out appraisal, inspection, whatever else needs to happen from the moment of contract to the moment of closing. And at some point in time, um, usually a handful of days before we're ready to close, we start to schedule. And then um, you'd hear from us at that point, we're ready to schedule, pick out a time and place, and then really interact with them at closing. Um, you sit down for a half an hour to an hour to kind of go over everything, make sure it meets expectations. It's the deal that everybody expected um, in 99% of the closings, everybody's sort of understands before they sit down um, what the deal is. But um, to the extent we need to explain anything or make sure that everything is what was expected, we do that at the closing table. And obviously, that's when you collect all the signatures, money, um, and then close it. Hand up exactly. the money and tell people congratulations. So. The best part, right? Absolutely. It's the best <laughs> part of the job by far. So you guys are doing all the legal prep, all the title searches, you know, the, you're the facilitator of the closing. Right. So, you know, kind of quarterbacking all those various parties to that final closing date. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we're coordinating with lender, two brokers, buyers and sellers, and then occasionally other parties that, that need to be involved. If there's an unusual payoff or a surveyor, or who knows what, there's always, always something new that comes up. But um, yeah, we're sort of, there's an old joke about, you're essentially the guy at the front of the rowboat telling everybody when to row and yep. hopefully everybody starts rowing at the same time. And if it works, you, you hit the closing on schedule. And um, that's always the, the idea is to get people to the closing table at the time and date they were expecting and, and give them what they want. So that it, it's almost in some way, like being like a good umpire or a good official, like in a good closing, you almost don't notice us, yeah. right? Yep. <laughs> we, we said hello at the beginning. We did our work. Everybody else did the work they were supposed to. And then you see us at the end. We you know, sort of shake hands and call it good game and, and everybody gets what they want. Yep. Um, you know, that doesn't always happen, but ideally that, that's kind of the idea is that for the consumer, the buyer and the seller, it's a smooth experience where professionals do their job and, and we have a nice closing. Okay. So, Perfect. Yeah. yeah. What, what we're all hoping for. We exactly. Hope this. Yeah. Yeah. And then you obviously <laughs> want to have somebody who's able to troubleshoot if and when, you know, you need that, which 
sometimes it happens, right? Yep. Something comes up. So, exactly. Yeah. And, and along those same lines, you know, you guys oftentimes have to get involved and deal with some kind of issues along the way or things you find. Yep. Uh, what are some of the common issues you do find? Um, so, yeah, we'll deal with um, usually with the title search is where we'll find issues that the seller didn't know about. Mm -hmm. um, a forgotten home equity line that they opened years ago, forgot that they still have. And now maybe that bank has been bought out by another. Um, that's a common one. We're tracking down that release to make sure it's, it's taken care of. Every once in a while you find someone who has old judgment liens, you know, they got into credit card debt. They just sort of ignored it. Um, and you know, credit card companies don't really give up. They just sort of, <laughs> they just sort of go quiet. And then when you go to sell an asset, they pop up and say, well, we want our money with interest. So tracking down that kind of stuff. Every once in a while, um, especially if it's a property that's been in a family for a while, we'll find out having done title that, you know, grandma's estate was never probated. We need to track down who was supposed to do that. Is there a signature we need from an aunt or an uncle or some other family relative who maybe doesn't even know it, but there are some 122nd owner of the property <laughs> or, you know, they hold some small fraction and we need them to sign off. Uh, so we'll work with sellers to try and run down those problems. Um, you know, again, Mostly we don't need to do that, but when it happens, you got to, that's where you sort of have to have a little knowledge and some bedside manner and get talking to a seller about what their issue is and, and what, and, you know, give them a path to here's how we're going to get this closed, especially if we want to close it on time without having to extend the contract or God forbid, lose the buyer and, and have to go back to, to square one. So, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Okay. So one of the, one of the common misconceptions or some, sometimes the words we use incorrectly are we talk about title and we talk about deed, right? Which are. Kind of the same thing, but but still separate things. Can, yeah. you, can you talk a little bit about title versus deed? Yeah, the analogy I always use is, and I think this is the reason why a lot of people confuse it, is almost everybody owned a car mm -hmm. before they owned their first piece of real estate, right? Sure. And when you bought a car, you know, you got in the mail from the state of Maine or whatever state you're from, a very fancy piece of paper that said titles on nice thick stock and had a seal on it. And you knew, all right, I'm the owner. And I think a lot of people think the deed is the same thing, but it's really not. The deed is really more analogous to a bill of sale. Right. It's showing that this item transferred at one point from one person to another, but it doesn't prove ownership. Right. I mean, if you're going to go buy a used car and the seller, you said to the seller, okay, you know, can I see the title or can I have the title? And they said, well, I don't have the title, but I have the bill of sale from when I got it. Right. What would your reaction be? Well, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> How do I even know you own it? And that's kind of what a deed tells. It's good information, mm -hmm. tells you about the property, um, gives you a place to start some research to find out uh, status of title. But the thing with real estate is there's no one document. You know, unlike right. a car where you get one piece of paper, it's clear, it's done. Um, real estate's just so much more complicated. You can divide it, redivide it, combine it. You can grant easements. It's just anything under the sun could have happened. And also they have has a much longer history, right? Your car was built, you know, within your lifetime, whereas yeah. piece of land may have hundreds of years of deeds and easements and other documents at the registry. So title is really kind of um, the theory of ownership that we run under in a common law world, which is United States, England. Um, and really the only way to truly understand uh, title is to do a title search. And that involves somebody who has some understanding of real estate law, uh, reviewing records at the registry of deeds. And that's what we do. And we produce something called a title commitment, which says, hey, we can insure this piece of real estate. We're confident enough after our research to know who owns it, know what rights are out there and what restrictions there are. And we present to a buyer and a lender an offer to insure. 
Um, that's what we do. Some, there are other ways to do it. Sometimes in the old days, you'd see law firms where they'd write an opinion of title, just sort oh. of telling you what's yeah. up. Ours is a very specific, we're also, I guess I didn't talk about this before, but we're also an insurance company. We're going to insure the title. So for the buyer, if there's ever a problem with our research or something was not recorded right at the registry, there's an insurance policy that will step in. Uh, to protect that person. But that's really your difference between title and deed is your deed's a nice piece of evidence, shows the transfer at one moment in time, but title's a much broader concept that involves a lot of research and, and knowledge, frankly. Gotcha. And you mentioned that title commitment. So you're going through the re the registry to see all the records. You know, we're in Maine. We've got some incredibly old housing stock. Are you sure. guys going back through the entire life cycle of a piece of property? No. So the general rule is 40 years is a full title search because that's the statute of limitations for a real estate claim is 20 years. You go 40 to try and make sure there was no um, no period of time that was told, meaning that where that statute of limitations was put on pause. Um 40 years is your full title search. A lot of scenarios exist where you don't quite go that far, especially if, you know, by looking at the search, you kind of do a risk analysis, right? As an insurance company, we have underwriters or we're an insurance agent, but we rely somewhat on underwriters to tell us, you know, is this a risk we're willing to take to, to write this policy? So there's sometimes where you don't go the full 40, you go back because you run into other policies that show up in a database. So, you know, this title has been searched three or four times in the last 10 or 12 years. A lot of times you'll stop there. Um, but yeah, 40 years, um, is your full search. There are certainly scenarios where, you know, we get back into deeds that are over hundred years old every single month. There's something that just isn't clear from the record we sure. have in the short term. So we go back further, but yeah. You, so you, but you go back as far as you need to, to get the answer or the, yeah, the mean, insurance you need. Right. Yeah. I mean, the whole game for us is we need to feel very, we're going to issue an insurance policy and we're going to be on the hook for it. So we need to be confident that we're to a buyer and to a lender saying, this is good title. Um, if there's a problem, we'll stand in for it. And we're going to, you know, there's a company behind us that has billions of dollars, like any other insurance company yeah. uh, that'll handle your claim and, and make it right. So, you know, there are, um, like I said, there are some scenarios where it just doesn't make sense to go back the full 40 years. If you know, geez, this thing's been searched five times in the last 10 years, we're not going to find anything new. Or if we do, the odds of it existing are so small, mm. we're, we're comfortable with kind of a risk analysis saying, let's, let's write that policy. But there is, you know, we're on the hook for this. So we do take it, you know, really seriously about how we search that title. Um, and, and frankly, it's one of the things that does differentiate us that we do all our own titles in-house. We don't have any 1099 people doing mm. Uh, title searches. We don't have any from out of state or God forbid in a different country trying to understand main real estate and, and give a, a good title search, um, which also ends up giving us a really low claims rate. Um, we, our company produces very, we're like, I think the last three years on the top 5% of companies for claims, oh, wow. meaning we have the fewest claims, which means part of that's luck, right? You have a big claim. Sometimes that can sure. throw it off. Sometimes stuff just happens. It wasn't recorded the right way or whatever, um, or somebody fraudulently signs a deed. Um, but when you consistently produce good searches, you tend to have a low claim. So it's another thing. It's great that you have a policy, but if I told you, Hey, we can insure that, but you might have a claim down the road. Or do you yeah. have to say, we can sell your policy and it's actually pretty unlikely that you'll ever have a claim. You'd rather have the, the lower claim rate to back it up as well. So yeah, I think the security of knowing that it was a good search and the, the yeah. risk is exceptionally low makes that a lot easier. Right, right. So, yeah. Okay, so we'll come back to title insurance here in a second, but in Maine, we've got a variety of deeds. Yes. And sometimes yep. sometimes that matters and sometimes it doesn't matter. And I, and I know that oftentimes there's confusion around, you know, what deed's the best, what deed can I get? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the types of deeds? Sure, yeah. I mean, so in a general sense, I mean, you could do a whole 
semester course on deeds, but <laughs> in a very general sense, there's three types, yeah. right? There's your warranty deed. That's most promises best. It's, you know, a guarantee. There's your quick claim with covenants, which is kind of your middle ground, medium amount of promises. And then there's your quick claim without covenants, which is your as is, where is, you know, no promises whatsoever. Yeah. So you have a lot of promises, medium and none. So your warranty deed is where your seller is signing off saying, I guarantee you that this title is good forever. And there's a handful of technical promises that they're making, but it's good title. Mm -hmm. um, and regardless of how old the problem is or how it came into being, if I sign a warranty deed, I'm agreeing that I'll stand in. Essentially, I'll be a defendant in a lawsuit if, um, if, it can't, if a problem can't be solved. Um, your quick claim with covenants, that medium promise, has the same types of promises, but they're time limited. And that person who okay. signs a quick claim with covenant deed is saying, this title is good as long as I have owned it. But I'm not making any promises about before my time. I just don't have personal knowledge, um, which in a lot of ways I think is probably the most fair thing to ask for. Sure. Um, it makes common sense to me. Um, but for whatever reason, the industry standard has always been that seller sign warranty. So whenever somebody backs off that and says, I don't, I don't know if I want to sign that, you know, the almost instant reaction from buyers is like you said, like, well, wait, what do you know? Do you know something? Yeah, right. Is there a problem here? <laughs> um, but so that's the middle one. The le the lowest one is the quick claim without covenants, which is truly, it's like as is, where is on a bill of sale. Yep. I make no promises. In, in fact, someone who signs that deed doesn't even promise that they own the real estate they're selling. They're just saying, if if I own it, you have you now own it. You know, I'm conveying it to you. But that's obviously a scenario where it really makes sense to do a title searching, buy a title insurance policy. And I always say, it really makes sense to buy a policy with any of those deeds because if you play the worst case scenario game, right? You got a warranty deed from somebody. So you have somebody you could sue if sure. they messed up their title. Now you have a big problem. They forgot, they didn't get a signature from some relative because they forgot to probate the estate, but you go to that relative and they say, no, I want some money or who knows what. You oh, got yeah. a big, big problem on your hands. So now you've got a warranty deed seller who you could sue. And you also are smart enough to buy a title insurance policy so you could file a claim. So your two options are to go sue your seller or to file an insurance claim. And I get that neither of those are really like a day at the beach. You can't wait to yeah. do it. But if you had to pick one, one of them costs you no money. Right. There's a system set up. There's uh, there are resources. They have money to pay claims and to uh, hire lawyers to fix claims. I've done that claims work before. Um, that has a system. If you want to sue your seller, you're talking about you got to go find a lawyer who does real estate trials or real estate litigation. There aren't that many of them in Maine. Mm -hmm. You're going to pay a retainer. You're going to wait out the court system however long that takes. Even without COVID, civil cases are oftentimes into the 18 months to two years to go to full resolution. Mm -hmm. um, and then you might not win. That's the other thing I think people forget. Like, well, I'll sue that person and, and I'll <laughs> win. And it's like, I'm not sure that you always do. If it, you know, It might be that if you just didn't do a search and you didn't sort of look at it, it could be that the person who purported to sell it to you didn't have the right to. And this other person truly owns it. And now you're just, you've spent all that time and money and you have nothing. Whereas if you had bought a policy, um, if they can't fix the real estate problem through litigation or hiring lawyers, they pay you. Um, and that might not be great, but it's better than coming out with zero. So that's why a lot of times, as much as I do want people to understand those different types of deeds if, if, and what they're getting, a lot of times it doesn't matter. You know, If you're gonna get a title insurance policy for yourself, um, you're, you're likely never gonna turn to your seller anyways. Right. Um, you may have some common sense concerns like, well, why is this person not willing to offer promises since they've lived there for 20 years, for example? Mm -hmm. you know, so there may be some situations where you might still question that seller to say, really, you can't, you can't give me even the medium promises? Um, but then the other nice thing is, 
when you sell real estate, if you bought a policy at the time of purchase, some of those protections carry on even after you've sold. So you have some sort of uh, lingering protections after your, after your sale. So the different types of deeds, I, I hate to say they don't matter because it, it does. You want to know what the seller knows and what they're promising. But I think in the world we live in now where most people get a title insurance policy anyways, I don't know that I would get a lot of heartburn over what the seller's promising. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. not as important as we, as we make it out to be because ultimately the title insurance policy is going to catch problems regardless of what type of deed you have. Right. Yeah. And we don't, there's no difference in price. There's no difference in the type of search we do. You know, we don't even really at the time of search, oftentimes don't even know yet what kind of promises the seller's offering. Um, cause we're on the hook no matter what. Right. So right. we're going to put an insurance policy out there and play. We want to make sure it's good title. Um, so. Okay. Yeah. All right. So before we wrap up, let's dive into title insurance here for a second. You mentioned, yeah. you know, buying a policy for yourself. Yep. So I, a lot of times we see on the settlement statement that there's a, there's a policy on there. Yep. We oftentimes miss the fact that it's the lender's policy, maybe not right. our policy. Right. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of how title insurance works, yep. how it works for the various parties involved um, and what really what the consumer should be looking for in terms of getting title insurance policy. Yeah. Why should they be getting title insurance? Well, okay. So I mean, your traditional closing that has a couple that's buying a couple that's selling with a mortgage loan that will have two title insurance policies and they're based on the same search, right? The same work support it, but one is a lender policy and that protects the person, the bank that's lending the money that if they ever had to foreclose, they're going to get title back. That's good title. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and this is sort of one thing we always point out that every lender under the sun requires lender's title insurance, which should tell you that it's a risk worth insuring for the price that's charged. It's a sure. one-time fee that you pay at closing. It's not annual like a, um, like a car insurance or a house insurance because it's a snapshot in time of the moment you close. Um, it protects the lender that they're going to get good title back if they foreclose. The owner policy, if you just go with the lender policy, the owner has no protection whatsoever. And they would be, like we talked about before, turning back to their seller if there ever was a large problem. Um, if you buy the owner's policy, which almost everyone does now, because um, it's for one, it's not that much money. Um, and you know, when you know that the lender does it and it's going to put you in that better spot where you have an yep. opportunity to make a claim. Um, so, but what that owner policy does is if it turns out that uh, there was an old judgment writ that got missed or that it wasn't recorded right, sometimes they're not indexed correctly, meaning when you go to search um, Harrison at the registry, if somebody missed an R in Harrison oh, sure. or if somebody spelled your name funny, sometimes it could be just honest to God missed. It also will protect you against that loss. It also protects you against outright fraud. So if your seller turns out to have used a fake ID and it is not your seller, um, the title insurance policy will step in for that. That's a new kind of fraud that we've seen a little bit in Maine now mm -hmm. where, especially with vacant land, where somebody oh, yeah. pretends to be the seller. Yep. There's no house that they've ever lived in, um, but they get a fake ID that matches the name at the registry. And then they try to sell the land. Uh, policy would cover you for that. They also cover you for the missing heir. You know, it, it happens a lot in Maine. People don't go to probate court. They just sort of, someone passes and they just assume there's a family understanding that the next generation gets the land um, or the grandma's house or whatever it may be. And they tend to forget about the black sheep uncle who joined the army at 18, that he's still part of the family, even though you haven't seen him in yeah. a long time. So there's a bunch of claims like that, that, that get covered a lot. Of, and it's some simpler things too. There are a lot of cases where um, you had a mortgage, you, re, you uh, refinanced. And then if you did it during the, that mortgage boom, where loans were getting sold all over the place to different trusts, 
the release paperwork doesn't come through correctly. It needs to be corrected. Title insurance is going to stand in for that. And at the very least will, or very often is going to allow you to not even have to deal with that problem. They'll write you what we call an indem letter, say, go ahead and close. This is very simple. You know, it's a simple fix, but it probably takes 60 days. And if you're under contract, 60 yeah. days can be a death knell, right? So um, there's a lot of stuff that comes with with that policy. And, and I just think the nice thing for me is I don't generally have to sell it to people, but certainly, you know, if they have something they want to understand about what they're getting into, um, that's what it covers. Um, and I usually tell people to just, the only other things that are out there about it that people should know is that any easements that really increase the value of that land, usually it's access to water, but not always, but if you, mm -hmm. if, you know, if the value of this property is partly because you can get to the lake, get to the ocean over this path, you should let us know that um, mm -hmm. if it's not obvious, just because we can also ensure that generally speaking, easements are not covered. Um, they're just, they're too much litigation. And oftentimes they're about silly things like the, you know, the, the uh, subdivision has a restriction that you can't have an unregistered car. Now someone's <laughs> filing a title claim about their neighbor's car that's not registered. We're not getting into that. <laughs> fight but if it's something important like you know yeah. i hate to say that that's not important you agreed to it but um access to a lake access to water that really gives the the property its value yeah something really that, important yeah without that it wouldn't have this i wouldn't have paid that price for it um let us know because you you know for usually for not a lot of extra money um you can get that covered um and then the other thing i just try to highlight too is just remember that your title insurance policy doesn't cover acreage so if it's important to you that you have at least 10 acres because you want to divide it someday. Um, let us know that because we'll have to get a surveyor involved. Um, but that's probably more in the weeds than you wanted for, <laughs> for wide title insurance. Um, but covers a lot of things. Um, if anybody had further questions about it, obviously I'm, I'm happy to, to answer them. But. Yeah. And then cash transactions. Cash transactions. Yeah. Cash is king, right? I mean, those we do, um, we've talked about this before we came on, but um, we don't really advertise generally to the consumer, to the general public. We're really trying for relationships with lenders and brokers. But if there's a individual out there who's doing cash, um, really, once you're under contract, you send us that contract. We're turning titles around, even the busy times in a handful of business days. And without, you know, when you're not waiting for an appraisal, all the other verifications mm -hmm. that come with loans. Um, we do cash deals for a very, very fair price. And we usually turn them around. We can almost do them as fast as people want. Once you're under contract, you want to close next week. We almost always can do it. Assuming there's no title problem. Gotcha. Up, but yeah. And then where there's no lender involved, you owners should still buy title insurance. I'll, all the more, I'll tell you this, we don't even close them. If you won't buy a title mm -hmm. insurance policy at all, um, because then we're on the hook in a weird way that our system is not set up for. So partly it's selfish, right? Because, you know, we have E&O insurance and that kind of thing, but we want you, if there's a problem to use the system that's set up, which is file a claim. And that way there's an insurance company with claims, people with money, um, with a system to do it. If you don't buy a title insurance policy, if there's ever an issue, you're coming to me and I'm saying, well, <laughs> You didn't buy a policy and then we have this, you know, are you going to sue me or I, how, am I, how are we to fix this problem with yeah. no resources, with no system set up for it? So we frankly will not do a closing for cash if there's not a policy involved. Um, it's just, and it's, I do it selfishly for me, but also for the buyers. Like you just, it, that's insanity to me to, you're putting full sales price out there, mm -hmm. right? I mean, if you, if you go buy a house and you put down 5% or 10%, it's a terrible thing if that ends up in a big title problem, but you've only lost that 5 or 10%. Right. If you put up cash, you've lost 100% of your money. Yep. You need, you know, my opinion, you need to be insured for that. And to the point where we just, we won't close them, you'll, you know, we'll refer you to somebody else if, if you wouldn't. So Yeah, it makes sense. Um, At least it gives, it gives everybody some protection and a clean path forward if something were to happen. Right. Yeah. It's better for everybody, um, <laughs> you know. <laughs>
yeah, the way we want it. So, um, all right. So before we wrap up, Patrick, yeah. if people want to get in touch with you or want to learn more about Phoenix Title, yep. um, you know, where do they find you guys? Yeah, I mean, probably the easiest way, we have our website, Phoenix Title, which we spell unusual. There's no O in our Phoenix, I know. Um, so P-H-E-N-I-X title.com is our website. Uh, Portland office is 207-774-0434. You can always call us. Um, those are the easiest way. Really what I would say, though, is talk to your real estate broker or your lender. They're the ones who hook you up with title typically um, and just let them know that, you know, you think we're the ones to go to. That was always be uh, very appreciated. Um, but those are the ways if you want to ever get in touch with us or learn more about it. I feel like I could talk for hours about it. I do a three hour <laughs> real estate course on it. Um, so any questions anybody have, I'm happy to, to talk more, but I don't want to put anybody to sleep who's <laughs> watching for just a few minutes to try and figure out what we do. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I appreciate the time today, Patrick. Yeah. Um, again, Phoenix title in Portland, you know, we use them a lot. Great partner of ours. Um, can always get in touch with the questions. Thanks so cool. much for joining us, Patrick. Yeah. So once again, another great show, the main real estate show. We love uh, just sitting back casually talking about the main real estate market. You got to meet Patrick Thornton and talk a little bit further about title affordable homes and, uh, you know, let's dive right into that with uh, wrapping up the show of what, what we took away. Yeah. And I, I think that again, real estate's a team sport. Um, and we, you know, we do a lot of stuff with Patrick Phoenix titles, a great, a great partner of ours. Yeah. Um, you know, and they, they do all kinds of closings, all types of things. But what I like about what Patrick does is he's also a big proponent of educating the consumer along the way. As you, as you heard from that, Likewise, that conversation, yeah. he loves to educate, he loves to teach. Um, so really for those people, especially first time home buyers, uh, they love Patrick because he he walks them through the process and he's happy to sit there and explain everything to you as far as you want to go. It's always nice to know what you're signing and just, uh, you know, what you might be getting into if some trouble arises. Exactly. Um, but he's got your back and, totally. uh, you know, it's excellent to be at the closing table always. Um, but also when, you know, Patrick's there to explain everything, we yep. feel much more comfortable. They've done the title work. They've sat down and explained it to folks. So, and, and he mentioned the title insurance. Yep. Let's make sure that homeowners are protected. Uh, obviously your lender gets it, oh, but yeah. if it's a cash closing and, uh, you know, he, they make sure, and a lot of companies now are making that their policy that they're requiring that yeah. the, the buyers get title insurance. Um, you know, there's been talk that, well, yeah, that, it only goes back so far, you know, concerns. It's, yeah. it's one of those, like just insurance in general, yep. you wish you had it if you didn't like exactly. at the time when you figure it out is like, oh, I should have spent that five, six, $700 to make sure I have it when a claim happens. Yeah, it just, it gives you that peace of mind. Um, and you know, I'll be honest, I always buy title insurance. I don't, know any, I don't know anybody that doesn't. And I generally tell, people ask me, should they buy it? I go, well, I buy it for myself, if that's any indication of how important I think it is. Right. Um, but for the money you're gonna spend, to your point, you know, maybe you never need it, but when you need it, you really need it. Yeah, you wish <laughs> you did, yeah. You don't, you don't wanna go through that process of having to chase a seller down and deal with an old issue or you know, try to, try to mediate some issue that wasn't yours. Like yeah. if you, the insurance just makes the problem go and the, away. And the legal protection, right? You could eat up what the cost of a title insurance policy costs you. Oh yeah. In just a few hours of an attorney digging into, well, what, what are we talking about here? I mean, you blow right through that cost three to four hours. It doesn't take much. Yeah. Um, so once again, we really appreciate you joining us for the main real estate show. You can check out our episodes on the real, the main real estate show.com. I love Portland, main.com and wherever you download your podcast. So we want to thank uh, our sponsors, Farmers Insurance. Obviously, Patrick Thornton at Phoenix Title has been a, a contributor uh, here with the, the interview that you did. And um, anything else to add? No, a, a great, great show, great resources. You know, as with, as with short-term rentals, everything else, yep. if you've got questions, please give us a call. 
207-553-2605, jeffsellsmain.com. We're always happy to help. Awesome. Thanks again for watching the show. We'll see you next week.